This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 26th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Ford has just introduced an ultra-high-performance version of its Bronco off-roader called the Bronco Raptor. We'll have all the details, exciting details on that. And a very familiar name in consumer electronics is taking steps to enter the electric vehicle market on a worldwide basis. We'll have much more about that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk a bit about something we are passionate about, cars. Chris, uh, number one, how are you doing this week? I am doing well, Jack. Uh, Besides fighting a little bit with the supply chain over parts for my used car, I think everything is going uh, pretty well here the first few weeks of this year. How are you? I'm good. You were daring to take on a Porsche as a car you're planning to fix up. Uh, kind of fascinating. So we'll see how that develops over time. I, I love that. But uh, interesting. Interesting. Yes. Well, right now we're waiting on a timing chain tensioner somewhere in Germany that uh, was difficult to find before the pandemic and the supply chain issues and now is nigh impossible. So uh, <laughs> we'll see if I get it running this year. Yeah, exactly. You might have a, uh, you know, a giant uh, sculpture, a lawn sculpture. Uh, there for a while. Uh, We have a special guest for you on a a brighter note. Ryan Miller is the manager of electrified powertrain development at Hyundai Kia America Technical Center. He's going to be talking a bit about the Hyundai Ionic 5 that I recently had a chance to drive. And as I drove that, I also had a chance to sit down and speak with him. So that was a lot of fun. In the road test segment, uh, Chris, give us a hint as the vehicle you're driving this week. Well, I'll tell you the whole thing. It's the 2022 Acura RDX. Ah, very fun vehicle. You know, one of the one of the first kind of performance-oriented crossovers, I think. And uh, we'll see how uh, you like that. I got a chance to drive a new version of the Hyundai Santa Fe, their XRT version that has been introduced for 2022. It has a a bit of off-road look to it. Whether it's a real off-roader or not, well, we'll get into that a little bit in the review segment. Before we do any of that, we'll be bringing you some of the most important car-oriented news from around the world, so stay with us for that. Of course, Ford Bronco Raptor news is tops among that, so stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you, and we're so, so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nee Red back with you. We're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. And uh, it is news time. And fascinating news we have for you. Really exciting news. Uh, Ford has pulled the wraps off the 2022 Ford Bronco Raptor. And uh, it's very exciting. It's the first Ultra 4 racing-inspired SUV. This according to Ford Performance. And they say it will be capable of highway speed, desert dune conquering, desert dune conquering, not just running, (laughs) conquering, and uh, Baja rock crawling at the same time. I mean, this is an exciting vehicle, isn't it, Chris? I agree, even though both Baja rock crawling and dune jumping are far outside of my geographic location. I think this is a very impressive looking vehicle anyway. 
Yeah, impressive looking. Uh, actually, it's really cool looking uh, in a kind of a Mad Max kind of way. I mean, this is out there in terms of styling. It also has significant power, three-liter twin-turbo EcoBoost engine, 400 horsepower. That's a fairly familiar Ford engine. It also has a big changes, I think, in suspension and, and even in the frame, fully boxed frame. Uh, it's a lot wider. It has uh, all-terrain tires, 37-inch tires. Uh, the fact that it is 9.8 inches wider, I think, is a pretty significant uh, development. What do you think about that? I agree. You know, we talked about the Bronco a couple of months ago on the show, and at that time I said it looks and feels like a big SUV. So adding almost 10 inches to that track, uh, that's going to be a pretty serious vehicle. But as you mentioned, that that three, 400 horsepower uh, twin-turbo V6, that's the same unit, if I'm not mistaken, that we saw in the Explorer ST. And Ford has done some neat tuning to the turbo to uh, cut lag and help improve its performance in, in high weather, or I'm sorry, hot weather uh, conditions. So uh, really hoping we get out to the desert to drive this thing because it sounds like it's going to be very, very fun to drive. Yeah, it should be a blast. Absolutely. It's interesting that uh, when you go off-roading, you go to a much wider track on these vehicles. It makes a lot of sense. And of course, this adds to the uh, number of Raptors that Ford is selling uh, around the globe. They sell a Ranger Raptor in other markets. They don't sell one here. Uh, but they also, of course, have the uh, kind of the granddaddy of them all, the F-150 Raptor, uh, an exciting pickup truck forever and ever. So a lot of people uh, favor that. As I mentioned, it has this, the uh, Bronco Raptor has a fully boxed high-strength steel frame. I say high-strength. I don't think anybody's going to put light strength or low-duty strength in something like this. So uh, that's cool. And then they change out the axles. Big time axles from uh, from Dana that are used for off roading. Uh, as as we mentioned, wider track. The ground clearance is way way up to 13.1 inches. That's almost five inches more than the base four door. Upgraded transfer case. I mean, it's just got all the right stuff. Uh, electronic active suspension as well. Yeah, you know, one of the cool things that I saw that they they mentioned. They didn't go into too much depth on it, at least at this point in time, is. Because the Bronco is so modular, the uh, the quarter panels are removal, and you can pull some of the the pieces off and the bumpers and everything else. It made it really easy for Ford just to tack on uh, you know wider fender flares and more beefy body parts, and it it just seems like it's a really really good move from them because they didn't have to redesign the whole exterior at least. I know there's a lot of changes underneath, but uh, those pieces just bolt right onto the the Bronco as it stood. Yeah, I mean, it's likely that they had the Raptor in mind as they were developing the Bronco. And as you mentioned, having these modular uh, on-off pieces uh, that the consumer can take on and off for, for that matter and, and change things out and add aftermarket pieces, that's, that's very, very cool. Uh, it's interesting, the tire choice uh, from BF Goodrich, uh, 37-inch tires. They're the largest of any production SUV in America. This according to Ford Motor Company, anyway. As we say, uh, a lot of power. It certainly has the uh, the GOAT modes that we're uh, used to in the Bronco. And uh, overall, I, I'm just really excited about that. I'm also excited about the styling. I mean, what's your take on the styling of the new Bronco uh, Raptor? I think the standard Bronco really stands out, you know, maybe because there aren't so many on the roads just now, but they, they really did the boxy sort of retro future look perfectly with the, the regular Bronco and the Raptor, you know, wider, beefier tires, as you mentioned. It's got a bulging uh, power bulge in the hood and those amber LEDs up front that only the, the Raptor get. It's an impressive looking vehicle. I think that if you want to 
uh, read a book by its cover, so to speak. I think that the Broncos exterior definitely tells you what it's meant to do. Uh, so there's no mistaking that it's going to be pretty hardcore. Absolutely. I think the interior tells you a little bit about uh, that, too. It has vinyl seats and rubberized washout flooring in the in the base model. I mean, that's pretty basic, but I think really speaks to what they're trying to accomplish here. Yeah, you can certainly get one that's uh, tricked out a lot more and plusher, but uh, that's an interesting way to go with the, the base model. What do you think? Yeah, you build in some durability there. You take away a little bit of the worry of getting off and getting dirty. You know, you can either just spray it out or wipe it out. Uh, that's a big benefit. And, you know, I have no problem with it for a vehicle like the the Bronco Raptor. And even if you upgraded to, I think it's like a faux suede or synthetic suede leather uh, package that they have in other, in other trims, I'm sure that it's still easily cleanable. So no hesitation to throw the dog in the car, get out and get muddy. So I think that's what it's made for. And I'm appreciative that they, they went that route. Yeah, I'm really excited about this vehicle and uh, we look forward to driving it. And as you say, it would be cool to drive it in the desert and really put it to the test where you can uh, take advantage of all the things that they've done with this vehicle. Uh, one thing they didn't announce was price. I think it's going to be pretty pricey, uh, but we shall see what happens in the future on that. Well, shifting gears a little bit, we alluded to the fact that there is a very well-known consumer electronics company that is making noises, that are very strong noises, about getting into the electric vehicle market, and the name of that company is Sony. Uh, they announced uh, the fact that they are really looking uh, hard at the idea of making electric vehicles. And uh, one of the reasons they're able to do this, and this is according to a report in, in Reuters uh, that I found interesting, is uh, it's essentially easier to build electric vehicles than vehicles with internal combustion engines. That's something that you and I have been talking about for a long time now, and uh, it's kind of uh, reinforced in this. And the fact that here's a, a company that makes consumer electronics, and uh, they're, they're switching over, or at least uh, considering very strongly, uh, building vehicles and looking for partners to build vehicles. And they've, they've made some, this isn't just a pie in the sky thing. They've made some deals already uh, with some uh, parts and, and vehicle builders to uh, go about moving this forward. Yeah. And they've got the right people on board. They've picked up, I think, Magna International and a few others to, to help manufacture and develop these things. You know, there's really a big question about why Sony would do this until you kind of dig into it a little bit and figure out that they're looking at this as an opportunity to push content and entertainment functions into a vehicle, uh, maybe through a subscription service or whatever that might be. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there for them to drive revenue, both, you know, through driver's eyeballs or hopefully passenger's eyeballs if the driver's and, in, in, you know, driving the car. Uh, but it's more than just about building a car for them, which I found really interesting. And you and I have talked a bit about this too, uh, the fact that uh, when we review cars, we're often reviewing the infotainment system, and that is one of the most important areas that we review these days. And of course, Sony is kind of flipping this on the head and saying, essentially, a car is a place to entertain and inform. Uh, and the, the car is secondary to all of that. It, it's kind of flipping the industry on its head, but uh, in a very interesting way, I think. I agree. And when I read the story uh, last week, when I first started looking into this, you know, I was curious about why they would, you know, take the route of going through outside suppliers and, and partnerships. And then it hit me, you know, they're, they're trying to accelerate and get into this market as quickly as possible. And the way to do that is to fall back on uh, companies that already have that experience. But it also frees them up to go ahead and, and build their own sort of interface or software uh, situation and let somebody else do the hard work of, of the hardware. But 
no matter what it is, I'm interested to see where they end up. They've got a couple of prototypes out and still haven't said whether they're committed fully to moving forward with production or not. But um, I kind of hope they do it. I'd like to see what they come out with, even if it is uh, a little crazy to have a car that is focused mostly on entertainment and information sort of uh, interfaces. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. And the fact that they're enlisting uh, Magna International, it's a company that builds cars for BMW, Mercedes-Benz, and uh, others. I think they build uh, vehicles uh, for uh, several startups now. Uh, Fisker is Fisker one. too, right? Fisker, yeah, yeah. Is, is one that comes to mind. I think that makes a lot of sense. So uh, why not use that and uh, use that investment that's already in place and and uh, develop the intellectual property that Sony has uh, a great track record in doing and, uh, and put that together. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see what, what's going to happen in the electric vehicle market because it is, in a lot of ways, the Wild West, isn't it? Yeah, and you know what? I, I really hope that this is not an indication of things to come from other automakers. When we come back, we will be uh, road testing some vehicles, the Acura RDX. Fascinating, fun vehicle, and I was driving the Hyundai Santa Fe XRT, and a new version of the Hyundai Santa Fe. So stay with us for that. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack B. Red with you, and it is road test time, one of our favorite segments of the program. We're always excited to drive other people's cars and then report about them to you. And Chris, you had a blast, I, I've got to believe, driving the Acura RDX. Uh, tell us all about the 2022 version of that vehicle. I did have a blast. The RDX is an enjoyable vehicle to drive. You know, the turbocharged four-cylinder engine and sharp styling, especially with the A-spec package, which I'll talk a little bit more about uh, later on. It's a very, very sharp-looking vehicle, comfortable inside uh, and lively as well. But uh, in any case, the RDX for 2022 starts around $40,000. I tested, and this is a funny thing about the way Acura does its trims. They do packages instead of trims. So I tested the A-Spec trim with the tech package, the the advanced package, and then, as I mentioned, the A-Spec feature. So this the price tag came out to be just shy of $53,000. I think it's 52845 after all was said and done. Uh, in any case, it comes standard with a 272-horsepower turbocharged four-cylinder engine, a 10-speed automatic transmission, and super handling all-wheel drive. And uh, Jack, I'm going to ask you about this. The A-Spec package is a is not a performance package despite looking like it. It's more of an appearance package. What do you think about A-Spec and the way Acura does its sort of sportier trims and features for its models? Well, I would like to see more performance-oriented stuff associated with performance-oriented looks. I mean, I, I'm kind of a purist that way. In fact, I'd rather see more performance-oriented stuff without the looks <laughs> sometimes. You know, if I had to choose, I, I'd rather have kind of a stealth vehicle that had uh, the good mechanical pieces and the go-fast stuff uh, under the hood and, uh, you know, in the suspension rather than uh, the looks. But I know how this business works, and uh, looks sell in the showroom, so it makes a lot of sense to do it that way from a business point of view. I agree, and the looks on this vehicle are uh, stunning, to say the least. This one had a $500 Apex Blue Pearl paint job on the outside. And, Jack, as we were discussing before the show, I love the way that Acura has moved toward uh, bolder color combinations and interior styling that matches up with the exterior. Uh, the last RDX I tested was also Apex Blue Pearl, but it had a red leather and Alcantara interior. This one has the Apex Blue Pearl with a white and black leather and Alcantara, which is kind of like a suede material. 
uh, inside. Uh, it is stunning. You open the door, you've got a black carpet, a black headliner, and then these striking white and black seats. It's great. They've done a great job with the appearance. Uh, the A-Spec package also brings 20-inch wheels with all-season tires, uh, a sports steering wheel. It's the flat-bottom steering wheel. So uh, it definitely looks the part of a performance SUV, even if it doesn't get more power than the standard uh, RDX. And what I'll say is that the 272 horsepower produced by the four-cylinder uh, is more than adequate enough to move this vehicle down the road uh, with authority. Uh, in any case, it's well-equipped out of the box. It's got memory seats, blind spot uh, monitoring, a large infotainment screen that's perched up atop the dash. I think that this one is uh, it's 10.2 inches, and it's mounted on top. Uh, Dual-zone automatic climate controls, panoramic moonroof, LED headlights, LED taillights, uh, keyless entry, push-button start, the whole deal. You really are not left wanting for any equipment here. Uh, and the Acura Watch safety package is also standard. So that brings adaptive cruise control, collision, mitigation braking, forward collision warnings, and more. Uh, and the RDX performs admirably. Heated seats work well. The heated steering wheel is definitely an added uh, a bonus there for people who live where the air hurts your face, as I do. Not like you, Jack. But all around, you know, I think this vehicle, its only fault is that it competes in such a great segment. You know, the the other vehicles that it, it stacks up against, that said, I think it offers a great value. It's comfortable inside, and man, the styling is great. I think uh, people who like bold colors and sharp lines will be very much pleased with their RDX. You know, I think you had me until you said $50,000. <laughs> and I guess you said $50,000 early, but I, I'm excited about RDXs all the time. At the same time, I wasn't prepared to spend uh, well over fifty k for that particular vehicle. Well, I was driving a vehicle. Uh, I, I wouldn't say panache is its number one attribute. <laughs> that is the Hyundai Santa Fe. And the Hyundai Santa Fe is a, a compact or midsize vehicle. It's either a large compact or a small midsize uh, crossover SUV that has actually been with us for two decades already. It kind of shocked me that uh, that's been out there for uh, the better part of uh, 20 years. It got a big rejuvenation for the 2021 model year, and I was driving a 2022 that has a, a little bit more jolt this year because they added the trendy XRT version to it. And the XRT is in the uh, current, currently popular style of blackout vehicles. Blacks out a lot of stuff. It has black lower fascia and trim, front and rear, a dark silver skid plate, whether that's ever going to be used or not is a bit questionable. And um, dark tone wheels, dark finish grill, I, you get the picture. It's a kind of blackout, which is good. I mean, some people like that. And uh, I wonder how long or how it will wear over time, but it's certainly popular now. And it gives this kind of a, a more menacing look than the typical Santa Fe does. Santa Fe competes with other two-row five-passenger competitors. The Ford Edge is maybe the most prominent among them. The Nissan Murano is another one, fairly highly styled. I would say this: the Santa Fe had not been as highly styled until it got this styling refresh. And then with the XRT version, uh, you know, better looking, kind of cooler. As I say, designed to give it a more aggressive look. There's a lot of powertrains. Well, uh, before I get to powertrain, though, what do you, what's your take on the blackout treatments in total and XRT blackout treatment in specific? Well, as we just talked about, appearances sell cars. And so whether or not it can actually make use of the skid plate and the other 
things that it is equipped with uh, doesn't really matter because it's the perception of that capability that, that people probably are gravitating toward. You know, I like the new the newer versions of the Santa Fe. I think the latest styling updates did a lot of favors to that vehicle, uh, making it look more grown up and refined. And the blacked out trim, uh, the way it works with the XRT uh, for the, the Santa Fe is is great. I think the aggressive look fits well with the new shape. Uh, and again, if it if it imparts the sort of feeling that it can go off road and be hardcore, then uh, people are going to buy it because that's what what people gravitate toward. Yeah, I think you're right there. Uh, let's talk a bit about powertrains now because there's a lot of choices there, frankly. Then they go from uh, totally conventional to uh, oddly innovative or starkly innovative, I would say that. On the conventional side, there's the base engine, the 191 horsepower, 2.5 liter four-cylinder. It has an automatic transmission. You can get it in front drive or all-wheel drive trim. If you want just a little more punch, or I would say a lot more punch, it's 90 more horsepower, uh, go to the turbocharged version of that same engine, 281 horsepower. It, too, has an eight-speed automatic transmission, so those are good. Then you get to the hybrid offerings, and there's both a a conventional, quote-unquote, uh, air quotes, uh, conventional hybrid and a plug-in hybrid. The uh, conventional hybrid has a 60-horsepower electric motor that operates in conjunction with, get this, a turbocharged 1.6-liter four-cylinder. The fact that they are doing a hybrid with a turbocharged engine I found fascinating. It's 226 combined horsepower. And then the plug-in hybrid has a 90-horsepower motor, so the total horsepower there is 261 horsepower. They have six-speed automatic transmissions with paddle shifters, and they're all-wheel drive, so uh, a lot of powertrain choices there. I, I think there's a lot to like about both hybrids, both the hybrid and the uh, plug-in hybrid. And in a lot of ways, they're more sporty than the non-hybrids, which is counterintuitive, I think. Uh, and you mentioned one of the things is the shift-it-yourself six-speed transmission. It also They both also have a ton of low-end torque, and that makes them feel probably stronger than they actually are. Let's talk a bit about XRT. As you say, it kind of hints at off-road abilities with this front skid plate and you know other treatments there. But one of the things I found immediately when I looked at this thing is it has these sidesteps that are actually pretty low. It's, it's not difficult to get into the XRT without the sidesteps. And then I, w I wonder about sidesteps in an off-road situation. It struck me as you're likely to hang up on a sidestep more than anything else. So um, I just kind of wonder at the wisdom of that. Uh, as you say, uh, looks sell, so maybe looks rather than function are what's going on here. Yeah, those sidesteps, uh, all they really do is get in the way if you're trying to do any off-roading, but they do look kind of cool, so it's hard to tell. Right. Well, a lot to like about the Santa Fe. Uh, we have praised uh, Hyundai's infotainment systems, and certainly the Santa Fe has that. It also has the quirky fact that the uh, larger screen, 10.25-inch touchscreen display, does not have wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, but the smaller screen does. This is this weird anomaly that runs through the Hyundai lineup and is, I'm sure, will be remedied at some point. And then, of course, it has a ton of, uh, ton of active safety and driver assist features. They call it Hyundai Smart Sense, and it has forward collision avoidance system with pedestrian and cyclist detection. I don't know about small animal detection, though. Uh, blind spot collision avoidance assist, lane keeping assist, rear cross traffic avoidance assist, 
safe exit assist, rear occupant alert. Holy smokes, I'm going on and on here. And smart cruise control with stop and go. So frankly, a lot to like about the equipment level of the Hyundai Santa Fe. I don't know if it's as highly styled as some of its competitors, but I think it's it's certainly a great choice in the segment. What's your take, Chris? I completely agree, especially with the, the long list of safety equipment and the great infotainment uh, even without wireless CarPlay at the top and Apple CarPlay and Android Auto at the top trims, it's a great value all around. Right. So summing up, the uh, Acura RDX, certainly the right vehicle for uh, a particular mindset in the marketplace. Other competitors are right there with it. And the Hyundai Santa Fe, plenty to choose from, including plug-in and um, standard hybrid units. So uh, a lot to like all the way around. When we come back, we will be speaking with Ryan Miller. He is the manager of electrified powertrain development at Hyundai Kia America Technical Center. We're going to be talking about the Hyundai Ionic 5 crossover, and you'll be excited to hear what he has to say. So stay with us for that with Chris Teague, Jack Nered with you, and we're very glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America. Rojek, you read back with you. We are in Julian, California, Apple Country, Apple Pie Country, a wonderful place uh, to drive vehicles. And what a fascinating vehicle we've been driving today, the Ionic 5 from Hyundai, all-electric vehicle. And we have an expert on the vehicle with us. Ryan Miller is with us from Hyundai. Ryan, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much, Jack. Let us know about the Ionic 5. Tell our listeners you know, kind of the the big picture items on this vehicle, what they should know about it. Yeah, so the Ionic 5 is really the first vehicle in Hyundai under the eGMP platform. And the eGMP platform is really a revolutionary approach to electrified vehicles for, for Hyundai. Um, it's creating a, a vehicle that is mass market adoptable. It's meeting the range, performance, and efficiency expectations of all the mass market customers um, with incredible charging time. Only 18 minutes from 10 to 80, which is which is almost not enough time to go to a restroom at a <laughs> at a rest stop. Uh, depending on wh- whether you're going one or two, I suppose, <laughs> right? But uh, definitely true. I, I, it really strikes me that uh, the design parameters were to meet the needs of buyers and kind of the pain points of electric vehicles. Would you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think foremost in most customers' minds when they think about EV is range limitation, right? Um, and this is a key area Hyundai has been focused on now for three generations of, of mass-produced vehicles, starting an Ionic EV and then Kona EV, and now we bring Ionic 5, so 303 miles range in the rear-wheel drive vehicle. Um, and this is an exceptional range that almost all U.S. customers can can live with, not only live with, but um, revel in. Yeah, you know, revel in. <laughs> they can do the same long trips. They can do everything that they would do in an ICE car, just about. Yeah. So with that kind of range, and then with the quick, fast charge time, that combination really opens this up to be almost a substitute for a conventional internal combustion engine car, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we take drives to Utah from Southern California. It's over 500 miles, and you can easily do this with a 30-minute uh, stop at a, a charge station to get lunch, right? 
Give us the background of why this vehicle has this fast charge capability that, that others, that competitors, uh, recently introduced competitors, don't. Yeah, so the, the really the key for the eGMP platform is adoption of 800 volt architecture. So most conventional EVs and the, most of our competitors are at 400 volts, so roughly half the voltage. And this is really important because with the high voltage, we can achieve high performance of the e-motor system, as well as really high performance in the charging system. So you could really essentially pour more electricity in over time, over the same period of time, in an 800 volt system than you could in a 400 volt system. Absolutely, and you get more performance from the motors and a more compact design. Right. So tell us a bit about the, the variants here, because we have there's a rear drive uh, version that has 300 miles of range, and then there's an all-wheel drive version, uh, less range, because probably the same battery pack. Tell us a bit about both of those. Yeah, so the rear-wheel drive, 77.4-kilowatt-hour um, uh, Ionic 5, is really focused at long range and value, right? So it, it provides something that all mass-market customers really want, right? Performance, range, value. Um, we have a great understanding of the SUV market. There's a high penetration of all-wheel drive in the U.S. market. Um, so we wanted to deliver our first all-wheel drive platform vehicle. So there are two um, trims for the all-wheel drive. There's a, a limited, actually there's more trims than this, but in my powertrain mind, sorry. Right, uh, yeah. We have the 19-inch wheel all-wheel or 19-inch tire um, all-wheel drive and then the 20-inch tire all-wheel drive. Both have great dynamic performance um, and great range. You know, the, the label fuel economy range for this vehicle is 256 miles in the all-wheel drive trip. I should backtrack a little bit to put this vehicle in context. You know, the size of the vehicle, maybe you can help us with that. Uh, you know, the size of the vehicle, what you think it competes with, those kinds of things. Yeah, it's really deceiving when you see pictures of Ionic 5 on a website, right? It looks kind of compact. You're like, oh, this is like, a, you know, a golf, right? And, uh, and, and then once you start looking at the numbers, you know, three meter wheelbase. This is the wheelbase that our our Palisade has. So longer than your midsize SUV, Absolutely. a wheelbase longer than that. So that's that that alone delivers something, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. And this is this is really true midsize segment cargo volume, passenger space. So it's really impressive um, as far as the the uh, SUV orientation of the car. So it's right in the middle of the American market. I mean, this is what people are buying. I, I you know, I make the case that uh, the current crossover SUV is really the basic car that, that people have and that, that others are specialty cars. What we used to consider a basic car is uh, more of a specialty these days. Yeah, absolutely. The CUV is one of the fastest growing segments in the U.S., right? And, and this car is right in the heart of it. And we're, I'm really excited to, to see how it does in the market. We just have to build enough. Let's talk a bit about the interior of the vehicle, because with this long wheelbase, with the width of the the platform as well, there's a ton of interior space in there, and uh, interesting things like a flat floor, for example. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a I'm a large guy, right, six four, so yeah, I, I always appreciate lots of uh, space. Um, 
And this has an open center console actually in the front. So for me, my legs are pretty long, right? So I have no impact to my, my leg room while I'm driving. Um, and that extends to the rear, right? So the rear, usually you have a, a hump in the rear floor. So my feet are always constrained when I'm sitting back there. But the Nobody should ever is... put you in the rear seat ever. <laughs> I, you just, at 6'4", you should never be forced to do that. Yeah, but it's great <laughs> rear space um, for this vehicle. So it, it's really amazing what we've been able to achieve with EGMP, flat four, um, and really pushing the wheelbase out. And you put the batteries essentially very low in the chassis. This is a, a purpose-built electric, ch uh, electric vehicle chassis, so you're able to do that. And tell us uh, some of the advantages of what you've done there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the battery being low in the vehicle lowers the center of gravity in the car, so this provides better driving dynamics and performance. Um, it also um, expands the interior volume because you're able to use more of the above floor area for internal um, usage, whether it be cargo, people, or dog, whatever it might be. Um, so really you want the flat floor and EGMP delivers that. Yeah. And you have, uh, you know, better shoulder room, for example, because with a very roomy cabin. Yes, absolutely. And a roomy cargo space as well. Yes. Yeah. One of the leading in the, in the segment. Right. And uh, I guess uh, Mustang Mach-E is a, a competitor. How, how does it stack up in terms of overall interior space and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I think they're very comparable. Uh, I mean, my focus is obviously on the powertrain side, so I love comparing ourselves to Mach-E and the, the powertrain and power performance. I think we have a very unique uh, tuning philosophy in Hyundai. Um, where We like to give customers the choice of how they want their drive to be. Um, and give them a diverse set of drive modes um, so that they can really experience the car how they want to experience the car. Yeah, expand on that. I thought it was fascinating because you really do let people choose essentially their driving style and then the car just responds. And it also learns <laughs> their driving style in some instances too. Yeah, there's uh, you know very, four very distinct drive modes in this vehicle. There's the eco mode, which is a two-wheel drive uh, mode in the all-wheel drives. Then there's the normal or comfort mode. Uh, and the sport mode, and then in snow mode. So we have four distinct modes that are vastly different, right? Some of our competitors don't really differentiate much among those. And those modes are all um, structured in a way to deliver something for unique U.S. market customers. We've done a lot of study, research, to make sure that those modes align well with customer priorities. What are the, some of the things that you've learned from that study of the customer that you've put into play here beyond what you just to told me? Yeah, I mean... I, I think most powertrain uh, engineers, right, are, are enthusiasts of automobile, right? So we have a propensity to like performance and you know response. Um, but what we, what we find often in the consumer segments, especially CV segments, uh, fun to drive for many customers is actually comfort oriented. So it's it's not aggressive or fast. It's it's smooth and controlled. Um, so when we study customers, right, we we see this and we know we have to design to this criteria, not just our inner. Uh, little guy saying faster, faster, faster. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times for people, handling is how easy it is to park. Yeah, right. I mean, as Absolutely. opposed to you know how it corners on twisty roads. But this is a vehicle. We've just come up some twi twisty roads here from uh, San Diego to Julian, California, and the handling is is really uh, really interesting in a lot of ways. It's it handles really well. At the same time, it doesn't feel like an internal combustion engine vehicle. Talk a bit about that based on your your background. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the handling, I think anybody that hasn't driven EVs is missing out, man. Like, 
the 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 responsiveness and control that you have as a driver in in these types of roads is amazing, right? You don't have to worry about a kick down or a shift. Um, so none of that tedious <laughs> shifting, <laughs> I know. right? Yeah, where you know, oh, you come into the the corner and it, it upships twice, and then you have to basically full throttle out of it just to get anything, right? And and EVs provide that instantaneous exit um, power and and smoothness, right? A lot of times there's bumps and things that that you experience in a, in a conventional ICE vehicle that you, they just completely disappear with EV and you get to experience more of what's around you and it's quieter and you have more control. So it's kind of like, um, in a way, uh, driving a slot car, right? I mean, <laughs> more power, less power, more power, less power, and uh, that's really all you have to think about. Absolutely, and the rear drive, um, orientation of our cars really helps with dynamics and performance. Let's uh, dive more into uh, a performance parameter, which is, uh, you know, full-out acceleration. I think uh, especially in the in the all-wheel drive vehicle, you've got some pretty uh, stupendous numbers there, don't you? Yeah, I mean, the all-wheel drive vehicle uh, is capable of under five seconds in zero to 60. Um, our stated number is 5.1 and zero to 100 kph, but that doesn't translate That's 62 well. miles <laughs> an hour, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 62.5. So yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Um, which is impressive. I mean, you look at you know BMWs, right? They're they're in this range, right? And this is this is a mass market value oriented EV. Right. It seems like this is um, almost a byproduct of electric power, right? I I don't know that the the typical electric car buyer necessarily is, and maybe I'm wrong, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is desiring superstar kind of uh, acceleration, but they kind of get that as part of the package, don't they? And I think it's evolving, right? If you look at back at the very early um, EVs just five years ago, right, the, the Ionic EV, uh, it was only uh, about 100 kilowatts, you know, 0 to 60 in just under 8 seconds, you know, which is, which is adequate, right? Uh, but now you see this evolution um, just what, five years later, and we're at 5.1. Um, but customers, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, when we study customers in this segment, um, they're comfort-oriented, and, and we know that they don't need the all-out crazy performance. And this is why in the, the rear-wheel drive car, we, we see performance closer to the seven-second mark. Well, and the Ionic 5 is just one of what we will see uh, several Ionics over time, right? So uh, it's the first step, but certainly not the last. And uh, describe what Hyundai is trying to do here, uh, because it's, it's far more than just introduce an individual car, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the Ionic is becoming a, a family of brand, or of models, essentially. And, and I'm really excited to work th on them as a powertrain engineer, and I'm really excited to see them launch, and I, I know you guys will hear more soon. Yeah, well, I, we can't wait to see more soon and uh, hear more soon. How quickly can customers go out and buy one? Buy an Ionic 5. Yeah, so Ionic 5s will be available early next year, so very soon. Coming to the market soon. As we sit here today, it is not priced, but uh, I imagine it will be probably uh, very competitively priced. Correct? Absolutely. Hyundai is a value brand. You're right, and qualify for all the requisite uh, tax advantages that uh, can accrue, so it makes it even more more affordable. Well, Ryan Miller, thanks so much for being with us. We do we really do appreciate you being with us and sharing your insight on Hyundai Ionic 5. Thanks so much, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jackie Red back with you. And it is question and answer time here on America on the Road. We'd love to take your listener questions and answer them on the show, help you out. 
Uh, that is our goal with the entire show is to help people make better buying decisions and just understand the auto industry a little bit better. And here is a question we have from Sterling. Sterling lives in San Jose, California, and this is what Sterling asks. I'm looking to change to a greener car, and I'm wondering if I should buy a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid. One of the vehicles I'm considering is the Toyota RAV4, which offers both. What do you think? Well, Sterling, I think it really depends, and I've said this a hundred times now. It depends on how you're going to end up driving that that RAV4 or any other hybrid or plug-in hybrid for that matter. If you commute in town, I think that a plug-in hybrid could be great for you. You could go long distances without ever having to fill, fill the gas tank. Uh, I'm sorry, long periods of time, not necessarily long distances. Um, and the hybrid will also help you save gas, uh, save fuel, and, and stop-and-go traffic. If you do a lot of highway driving, uh, neither of those vehicles are going to live up to their, uh, I guess, their billing or their their true potential uh, because the, the lowered fuel economy, or I'm sorry, better fuel economy driving on the highway as it is. Um, I would say that the RAV4 Prime is a great choice if you're looking at either of them just because it's one of Toyota's quickest vehicles. It's very powerful. Uh, it's very refined. The plug-in hybrid system works well. And uh, the RAV4, the newest one, has great interior styling. It's very comfortable. So I think it's hard to go wrong there. Yeah, I think the RAV4 Prime is the best of the RAV4s. And I I love the Toyota RAV4. I think it's an excellent vehicle. We were just talking a, uh, a little bit about the uh, a competitive vehicle, or at least a semi-competitive, the Hyundai Santa Fe, which is also offered in both a standard hybrid and a plug-in hybrid version. And uh, I think, again, maybe the plug-in is the way to go. Uh, it's becoming more difficult to find some of these plug-in hybrid vehicles, Number one, I think uh, the manufacturers aren't building that many of them. And, and number two, with supply chain issues, I think it's harder and harder for them to build those uh, pretty complex vehicles. Uh, but I think they're worthy of attention here. And I think a hybrid or plug-in hybrid is liable to be much more practical for many, many people than a pure EV at this point in time. I agree. Until the infrastructure catches up, it's tricky. Life is so tricky, isn't it? And it's also tricky by the fact that uh, we've come to the end of our hour and uh, America on the Road is about to end for this week. Uh, thanks so much for being with us, Chris. As co-host, you do a terrific job. Thank you so much for having me and thanks everybody for listening. I will say if you want to listen more and take us with you wherever you go, you can hit sportsmapradio.com and check us out on the Saturday morning schedule where you can find our podcast both on Apple and on other platforms. Absolutely. We are available as a podcast and you can listen to us whenever you want. You know, when you're taking that morning walk with the dog or listening in the car, however you want to do it, uh, listen to America on the Road. We'd love that. And uh, join us again right here for another edition of America on the Road next week, right at this place. So join us. Thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new car or a used car, just want automotive information, go to DrivingToday.com. DrivingToday.com, where you'll find a world of automotive information. It's the official automotive website of America on the road.